Welcome back to another episode of Seeing Life from a Different Angle. I want to uh, thank you for those who are listening to take the time to do so. I appreciate it, and I appreciate those who have been listening for 10 months. I mean, it's been a good 10 months, I think, almost since the very first podcast. So I think we're now on podcast number 42, if that's at all humanly possible. So here we are again, and I thought today, you know, I was puzzling over what to talk about today, you know, how to really link together the things that this podcast is really about, which is philosophy, psychology, and religion. And, you know, I was thinking about the idea of trust and, you know, why it is that we struggle with trust. You know, we we're put in these circumstances day in and day out where people will say to us, trust me, you know, it's invariably the guy that you come to know or the woman you come to know at work who says to you, you know, I wouldn't trust a word anybody else says, but you can trust me, you know, and, you know, invariably we are confronted by that on a day-to-day basis. But I think it's one of those types of circumstances where there's a part of us inherently that really feels the need to trust another human being. You know, and I think that comes from a very philosophical place in each of us. And I'll explain. I, I think what I mean by that is, you know, there is this sense of the need within us for a measure of community to feel like, okay, we're part of something. And by trusting this other person, it allows us to feel a part of that community, to feel like, okay, well, this person is not going to lead me astray. And I think it's where it touches upon psychology as well is the question mark as to whether or not we can trust other people. You know, it's it's one of those types of things that I've seen hundreds of times in psychotherapy practice is individuals who say, you know, I just don't trust anybody. And, you know, it's one of those difficult pieces because how do you get a patient to trust you as a therapist? And, you know, in order for therapy to progress, trust has to exist. You know, but it's one of those types of things that has to be worked through. You know, I I think it's one of those types of experiences that one has developed, you know, throughout life where they have come to not trust. And it's not really necessarily the result of any one specific moment. It's not the result of a trauma that says, okay, you can no longer trust. I think it comes from that shift that we have talked about before that shift into that myopic reality that we all experience. You know, when our wide open reality becomes unconscious to us and we now exist in the quote-unquote real world where we must, you know, cope, we must figure out how to survive. And so one of those things that we try to do in that circumstance is to place a measure of trust, a belief that other people in our world have our best interests at heart. And so we put ourselves into this place and we, we, we have this belief that our parents and the people that surround us have our best interests at heart. But I think pretty soon our ego comes to realize that that isn't always necessarily the case. And the reason it's not is because the people that are around us, they have pathology too. 
And by pathology, what I mean is they struggle with an ability to get their ego's needs met. They struggle with an ability to cope with their own fears, their own worries, their own trepidations, you know, and even their own terrors. And so in coping with these things and trying to struggle with these things, they may or may not continue to be someone that we can count on to be there for us. It doesn't mean that they're not trying, I think, to be there for us. They're probably not even considering that this is something that we as human beings need. They're not looking at us and saying, okay, well, this child needs to trust in me and needs to believe that I'm going to be there for their best interests. Instead, I think more often than not, what ends up happening is that parents just kind of go along. You know, they just kind of do what it is they do. They think this is the way things are going to be, and they just kind of progress, much as their parents did before them, their parents did before them. You know, and with each generation that goes along, you know, there's no saying that we're getting any healthier. You know, that the child is more likely or more inclined to trust the people that are taking care of him or her. You know, because ultimately, I think, what we've come to find increasingly so, and much like the the people in the cave, the metaphor of Plato's cave, you know, we we struggle with those people who tell us that, you know, the world can be different than it is, because we'd like to believe that the way our parents raised us is something that is trustworthy, that they had our best interests at heart. And I'm not saying that they don't. But what I'm just saying is, is that that doesn't necessarily mean that they do, you know. In other words, were they thinking about what it is that the child needed psychologically or were they thinking about what they needed psychologically? And in part of thinking about what they needed psychologically and getting their own ego needs met, they raise a child in a particular way. And sometimes that way is healthy for the child and sometimes it's not. And so... The, child, the parents may say, well, you can trust me. You know, I'm here for you. Again, sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. But to the parents, there probably isn't a misperception, at least in their own minds, of them being there for the child. And so the child is raised with this perception that they can trust their parents. But here comes the rub. The rub comes in when the child then becomes exposed to other people in their lives. Now, these other people they have their own psychological status quo. They've been raised in circumstances by their own parents that lead them to seek out their need gratification in their own particular ways. I've said as much to you before, but, you know, we have 8 billion people in this world and there are 8 billion different realities. In other words, every one of us has our own psychological status quo. Every one of us has this fenced in yard within which we live where we think this is the way the world is. It leads to this jumbled mess in many ways. But, you know, it's one of those types of things, if I can take a sidestep, it's one of those fascinating things where we can see people having these particular perspectives. And these particular perspectives seem to many, and maybe even to most, to be rather odd. You know, we suddenly have this view that now there are more than two genders, for instance. And, you know, biologically speaking, even though the Supreme Court Justice says she doesn't know what a woman is, biologically speaking, there are two genders. There's male and there's female. And, yep, we have a society that is now telling us that there are 56, I think, based upon the latest Facebook 
notifications of options, there are all these different types of quote-unquote genders now. Now it's fascinating really because how did it come to pass that we can have this cluster of individuals who firmly hold to this belief? Here's what I believe is happening is that their yards have enough of an overlap. These fenced-in yards, this myopic reality that they live in, it has a common center, a common place where they can say to other people, okay, yes, we all, we all see the world in this particular way, and because we all see it in this particular way, therefore it must be reality. And I think the truth of it is, I'm not saying individuals who see things this way are mentally ill. They're not. What I'm saying is they, like any other number of individuals who have their cluster of groupings who think this particular view, despite what reality might dictate, they see this in a particular way, and it's because there's this overlap, and they tend to come to trust those individuals who have that overlapping part of their yards, their fenced-in realities, their myopic reality. And because they have this overlap, they think, okay, well, these are people that I can trust. But it produces conflict. And the reason it produces conflict is because there's no way for us as individuals to continue to have enough common ground in our lives that we can truly trust other people. We may want to trust other people. We may want to believe, like in the metaphor of the cave, that this person is going to come back and tell us that there is a bigger and broader and more, more wide and interesting world than the world within which we live. That that person who says, no, what I would refer to as, here is the wide open reality, there is something more. We want to trust that that's the case, but fear pulls us away from doing so. And so we tend to trust those people who, in our own small realities, our own myopic realities, have a common ground. And I guess, you know, when we think about it, it goes back to the religious piece, which is, you know, how does religion see the idea of trust? And I think, you know, if to step back into something that C.S. Lewis had talked about when he talked about morality, he had said that as children of God, we are all brothers and sisters. And that commonality that common space which exists in the wide open reality where there is one reality you know it's not broken down because our ego is struggling it's not broken down out of fear it's not broken down out of a measure of commonality amongst different causes you know all of these things are man-made and therefore they are destructive therefore they are flawed whether it's a gender issue, whether it's a sexual orientation issue, whether it's a religion issue, whether it is just a general societal issue, whether it's a political issue, it doesn't matter. They're flawed. Every one of them is flawed in some way because they're man's attempt to try to make sense of a world within which he or she exists. But our wide open reality is one commonality. It is one common space. It is something that is like a song that we remember that we've never heard before. You know, in a sense, we know this song from someplace, but it's not something I can ever remember hearing, even though I know that I know it. You know, that's what the unconscious is about. That, that space within us, that wide open reality, is a space where God exists. And so here is Christ saying to us, trust me, you know, let yourself 
go. Trust that I know where it is that you should be going with your life. It's not something to bind us, not something we should be afraid of. You know, it's not something that says, okay, I'm wrapping this web around you, but here I have this net. I have this net for you. And if you fall, the net will catch you. I will catch you. I will be there for you. You know, and I think that that's where trust can truly exist and only truly exist in any sort of healthy way is in that space where Christ exists. You know, where we allow ourselves to believe that we are as brothers and sisters a part of a family, a part of the family of God. And so when we look at it from a sociological perspective, from a philosophical perspective, from a psychological perspective, we're always going to fail in terms of being able to be there for other people in a way that is truly healthy and truly trustworthy. The only way that it ever is anything but is when we allow ourselves to go back to that wide open reality, when we allow ourselves to recognize that we are a part of a bigger family where we have one common reality. And that reality is that we are all children of God. Be well. <laughs>